always good to be reminded of the faithfulness of God, certainly reminded as we come together, reminded as we, we open the pages of Scripture. I wonder how many of you come here this morning uh, with hurt in your life. What disappointments are in your life right now? Our text of Scripture that we're going to look at today is addressed to a people who were experiencing a a disappointing set of circumstances, who were experiencing great hardship and were called to place their trust and their faith in God once again, leaning on Him to fulfill His promises. Today we pause in our journey of Mark through Mark's Gospel and we look at book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. So I invite you to open the pages of Scripture with me to Isaiah chapter 42. If you're looking for Isaiah, if you go to the center of your Bible and go to the right a little bit, you'll come across Isaiah. If you're using a pew Bible, I think it's on page 588. But Isaiah uh, prophesied some 700 years before the coming of Christ, before uh, Mark writes his gospel to recount the life and the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and our Savior. Sometimes I think we forget that the Bible is a collection of inspired writings uh, that span some 1,500 years uh, in, in, its, in, its, in its writing. records a period longer than that, but 1,500 years of, of writing. But all of it unified uh, around a central subject matter. And that is uh, the triune God. So whether we're looking at Genesis or Revelation, John or Isaiah, we are reading the living word of the only and unchanging God, the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, Mark seems pretty keen on his readers knowing that something significant has happened in the coming of the Son, of Jesus, the Messiah. He says that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is uh, a serving Messiah. He's a servant, and uh, he declares that Jesus is a king. Jesus is a servant king. Though he was misunderstood and rejected by many in his day, still many in the world uh, today, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of promises from long ago. His coming prophecies concerning his coming are found throughout the scriptures, found throughout Isaiah and other prophecies many years before his arrival. His coming is anchored deeply in God's plan to redeem his people. Isaiah writes and he writes and confronts a people who are steeped in rebellion and idolatry and he calls them to repentance. He calls them to display faith in, in God. In the midst of danger and disappointment, the people of God in that day had turned to pagan kings and false gods. Isaiah writes to them, calling them to repent and to turn once again to God, to place their trust in Him. In the midst of danger and disappointment, friends, where do you turn? What do you run to? Where do you place your hope? See, the God of the Scriptures is a God of hope. He's a God with a plan. He's a God with a good plan who is carrying out his 
plan, even so, defeat, captivity, judgment. These are themes throughout the prophet Isaiah's writing. But like an artist painting that is coming together with time, gradually unfolding to produce a beautiful image, this is a story that is going somewhere. It's headed in a beautiful direction, pointing to a a central figure who will come, a redeemer who will restore not only the people of Israel, but whose restoration will extend to the ends of the earth. So let's look at the text together. Isaiah chapter 42. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. I'll read Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 9 and then we'll back up and specifically focus on verses 1 through 4 today. Next Sunday we'll look at verses 5 through 9. But hear the word of the Lord. The Lord speaks through his prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Church, let's bow in prayer. Father, we give you praise today. We acknowledge that there is none like you, that you rule and you reign on high, and even so, you are a God who is with us. You are the God who has spoken to us, who has revealed uh, yourself and your plan to us in your word. Lord, guide us now by your spirit, by your presence, as we seek to rightly understand the truths of your word. Lead us for your glory. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth. Point us in the direction of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. The prophet Isaiah is characterized by uh, beautiful poetry. uh, Oracles of both judgment and oracles of, of salvation. But it is not a stagnant message. It is a story that is going somewhere, that is pointing in a particular uh, direction. Even so, God speaks to His people through the prophet Isaiah and He challenges them in their compromise, in their insecurities, in their uh, trusting in other false foreign gods. And He calls them to repent and to turn to Him once again. Running after 
peace and power and pleasure in the wrong direction. And the call of Isaiah 42, chapter 1, comes loud and clear with the word behold. Behold, or look, see, here is my servant. Intentional contrast is taking place here in the context of Isaiah's writing that I think fails to come through very clearly in the NIV translation from which I'm reading this morning. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 24 Same word, behold, you idols are less than nothing. A contrast is being set up between the idols of the pagan nations and the pagan kings and armies. Verse 29 of chapter 41, behold, they are false. And this servant of chapter 42, verse 1, behold, my servant. In other words, the Lord is saying through Isaiah the prophet, He is saying that pagan kings are pawns in my hand and the idols of the nations are worthless. But look, listen up, see this one. Behold, my servant. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, and and whom I delight. You know, for us, it may not be pagan kings or idols vying for our attention and affection, but perhaps it's other things. Perhaps it's the pursuit of money or immorality, sports or status or any number of other things. And even so, despite their unfaithfulness and our unfaithfulness, we serve a God who is faithful. A God whose promises are true. A God whose love is unfailing. A God whose goodness shines forth and who wants what is good for us. For none have measured up. Not Israel nor us. Yet God is faithful. Unchanging. And he speaks to the prophet Isaiah of a coming one. A messianic one. A messianic figure who would restore. Who would redeem. Who would bring restoration and peace. Who would... Extend justice to the ends of the earth for all. Indeed, the Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah is God's servant sent to establish justice. Church, the Messiah, according to the scriptures, is God's servant sent to establish justice. As we read the pages of scripture, as we read from the prophet Isaiah, it becomes evident that God's hand is guiding human history. That He is sovereign. That there would be a figure to come. That there would be a Messiah to come who would be the the perfect Davidic king. One who alone would defeat all evil. This one is, is coming. He's a servant. He's a king. He's the servant king. He is Messiah. Messiah is God's servant sent to establish justice. Isaiah writes in the 700s B.C. But these chapters of his book, of his 66 chapters, chapter book, Isaiah chapter 40 and following, specifically addresses a people in the future. The people now in the past, by nature of being in God's word to all of us, but when Isaiah is writing, he is forecasting what is to come. The Lord is leading him. It would be as, as if someone today writing uh, to generations living a hundred years from now and saying, over the coming decades, there are going to be some things that happen. And when they do, act in this way. Trust in the Lord. Be characterized by faith in Him. Isaiah is 
addressing exiles in this section. For soon, the king of Babylon would come in and defeat Judah and Jerusalem. Many would be taken into captivity. The nation would be in shambles. The thrones of Israel and Judah would be lost. And even so, through Isaiah, God says, one will come. Trust in me. Be characterized by faith in me. One will come one day who will reclaim the throne. He will be a servant. The servant of Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 is a coming king. The servant reigns as king. According to Isaiah, according to the scriptures, according to the witness of the New Testament concerning the coming and the fulfillment of the Messiah in Christ, the servant reigns as king. Isaiah writes as he's led by the Lord and speaks of this servant. Here is my servant, a chosen one in whom God delights. One who will bring justice to the nations. Verse 3, one who in faithfulness will bring forth justice. Again in verse 4, one who will establish justice on earth. Initially, the identity of this servant appears to be a bit veiled. Who is this figure? Who is this this servant? Is it the nation of Israel described elsewhere in Isaiah as the servant of the Lord? Is it a remnant of faithful ones from Israel? Is it Isaiah the prophet? Is it a future Israelite king? Is it a foreign king, perhaps Cyrus the Great from Persia, who would be the one to come in and defeat the Babylonians and allow the Jews to return to the land and and rebuild the temple? Certainly all of these are servants of the Lord, used by the Lord in varying ways, but as the message unfolds, the identity of this servant becomes more and more clear that this one is a future one who would come and who would restore, who would be a savior, who would be a Messiah, who would be a king. And through the witness of of Mark, now the New Testament writers, the identity of this one is clearly identified as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. He is the Davidic king who was to come. He is the promised descendant of David. In fact, hold your place here in Isaiah chapter 42 and turn back to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 10. In fact, a couple times this morning, we'll jump back and forth between Mark 10 and Isaiah 42. So you may want to hold your place there. But if you're visiting with us, we've been journeying through Mark's gospel. And just last week, we looked at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 and following. And remember what blind Bartimaeus says when he encounters Jesus of Nazareth. Disciples and Jesus are leaving Jericho. They're going to Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover. And Bartimaeus hears of Jesus coming by. Mark chapter 10, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Rebuked by the crowds, he continues again. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. The promised descendant of David. The one who was prophesied about. The one who would come. The ruler of the nations. Jesus is this one. Jesus comes as king. The perfect Davidic king. Not only is the servant 
referred to in Isaiah and in Mark. Not only is the servant a king, but he is unlike other kings, for he comes in humility. The servant reigns as king, and the servant displays humility. According to the Scriptures, the servant, this servant, displays humility. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2, Isaiah writes, He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, he'll be characterized by humility and calmness, quietness, submission. John Calvin, the French reformer of the 16th century, reflecting on this passage of Scripture, says this about the coming Messiah. He says the servant, the Messiah, will come without pomp or splendor, such as commonly attends earthly kings. In other words, the Messiah will come, the servant will come, and he will be a defender of the weak. Continually contrasting the ways of God with the ways of the world, he'll be one who provides healing for the hopeless, who cares for the lowly. Doesn't this sound like the Jesus that we've been studying in Mark's gospel? Remember how Jesus responds in Mark chapter 10 when the little children are being brought to Jesus. The disciples intervene and tell folks to keep the kids away. And Jesus responds, Mark chapter 10, verse 14. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Mark 10, 16. And he took the children in his arms placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, comes, and he comes in humility, characterized by identifying with the outcasts and the lowly, those who are completely dependent on others. Even in his arrest and wrongful accusation, even in his mocking, Flogging and crucifixion, Jesus displays quiet submission, coming in humility. Friends, the servant reigns as king, the servant displays humility, and we also see from Isaiah chapter 42 that the servant suffers willingly. The servant suffers willingly. Isaiah chapter 42, verse, verse 4, we get a glimpse of this here. A small window into what is to come of this figure. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4. We read, He will not falter or be discouraged till He establishes justice on earth. He will not falter or be discouraged. In other words, He's going to face some opposition. There's going to be some interference with His carrying out the mission that God has entrusted to Him of restoration and healing, of redemption. But he will not falter or be discouraged. And the idea of this servant suffering becomes more and more apparent as these servant songs in Isaiah's prophecy continue, culminating, becoming clearest in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah says this concerning the coming servant Surely, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, 
stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the servant comes and he suffers willingly in our place. He suffers willingly because he is God's servant sent to establish justice. Sent to establish justice by by paying the debt that we owed. By righting wrongs. By executing judgment. By establishing justice. He is God's servant sent to establish justice. He will not falter or be discouraged, Isaiah says. Doesn't that sound like Jesus' determination that we've been seeing in Mark's gospel? As one who knows the suffering that awaits him and fixes his eyes on the mission at hand, onward marching to Jerusalem. We've seen in Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10 that three times Jesus predicted his impending suffering and death. And even so, he was on the way. Mark chapter 10, verse 32, the disciples and Jesus, we read, were on their way to Jerusalem. Hear this, with Jesus leading the way. With Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Resolute, determined to fulfill the mission that God has for him. Mission of redemption, of restoration, of healing and salvation. The servant suffers willingly. The servant displays humility. The servant reigns as king. And fourth and finally, the servant provides hope for all. Church, the servant provides hope for all. Look back at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth and is teaching the islands will put their hope. Coastland imagery. If you're in ancient Palestine, no doubt a reference to the massive Mediterranean Sea sprinkled with islands. This is not exclusive language. This is not limiting language. This is expansive language extending to the ends of the earth. The Messiah's mission will establish justice and bring hope for all. The Messiah is God's servant sent to Jerusalem. In a specific time, a specific place, to establish justice, yes, for Israel, and also for you and for me. You see, the Messiah is our hope. He's a surprising hope. For when the Son of God came, God took on human flesh in that ancient city of David, that little town of Bethlehem, it was no longer the Babylonians or the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Persians, but it was the Romans suppressing and oppressing the Jews. Awaiting a ruler, a deliverer, a political savior, many, 
missed the arrival of Jesus the Christ. Many missed the suffering servant. Many today miss the suffering servant. Don't miss the suffering servant. Find hope in the suffering servant. The hope that this one brings is not typically the desires and expectations of humanity. The hope that this one brings is the hope of eternity. The hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus the Christ, the suffering servant, the Savior of all, God in the flesh, the Messiah who rules and reigns on high is not the hope of a cancer-free life. It's not the hope of a debt-free life. It's not the hope of an easy life. It's not the hope of your best life here and now. It is the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Friends, turn to this one in hope. Find a hope in the Savior. Messiah sent from God to establish justice and to provide hope for all. This one is coming again. He will return. We gather his people until he comes. Let's find hope in him. Let's live for him. No longer in Babylon. Awaiting the Messiah. But in another sense, still in Babylon. Still in the world, awaiting the return of the King. To gather His people from every nation, tribe, people, and language into the new Jerusalem. To enjoy His provision, His promises, His protection, and His presence forever and evermore. Church, until that day we wait. Until that day we worship. Until that day we live for Him. Until that day we long for His return. The blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Paul says it this way to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. The Scriptures declare, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Friends, that's the Gospel. The grace of God has, has appeared, has been made known, has been revealed to the coming, the living, the dying, and the rising of Jesus the Christ as the substitutionary atonement. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's a grace that saves us and a grace that shapes us, that changes us, that conforms us, that calls us to live for the glory of God. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Church, we wait. We wait for the blessed hope. We wait for the return of Jesus. We wait for the coming of the Messiah once again to gather his people into His presence forevermore. As we wait, let's live for Him. As we wait, let's long for His return. As we wait, let's declare His greatness. Amen. Father, we thank You for the truths of Your Word. We thank You for revealing Yourself through the pages of Scripture, both through the law and the prophets and the writings and the apostles. Father, we thank you for the foundation that guides us as we seek to know and live for you. 
And Lord, we thank you for the hope of Jesus. Lord, guide us now as we declare your riches, as we praise your name, as we express our devotion to you, our longing to live for you and to serve you, to be with you. Lead us as we respond. May we respond in a way that glorifies you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.